millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. It's extremely late while we record this because I've been out. Raj was out on Saturday. Uh, but the good news is we're going to be talking about Spurs, Man City and also Manchester United against Newcastle United. So you're almost getting a double insight in a single episode. Uh, very exciting. I know you just turned the volume up on your headphones because you want to listen to this even louder. Um, just before I continue, very quickly, I mentioned this on the last episode. If you have any thoughts or things that are happening that you think are tactically interesting, send them to us. You can actually reply to the episode on Spotify and we'll discuss them at the end of the next episode. And obviously, if you're new here, make sure you subscribe and follow the pod and also follow Raj, who's as usual with me. Uh, Raj, as always, I'm going to throw it to you. Let's start with, because it was happened today, um, or at the time, I listened for someone else just yesterday, let's start with City Spurs. Um, 3-3, great game, etc., etc. What are your overall thoughts on the game? Yeah, it's an interesting game. These two teams always produce kind of thrillers, don't they, in the Premier League? So, And even in the Champions League before. So, yeah, it was more of the same. What I was quite struck by was how Ange didn't compromise again from his philosophy. He had Christian Romero out, Mickey van der Ven out, two of the crucial pillars to their good start of the season. And Emerson Royale, not a natural centre-back. Ben Davis, not a natural centre-back. And yet he still played with a high line and he still built out from the back. And Spurs had very good spells possession in this match. Um, and you wouldn't expect that with the personnel they had named. And City uh, looked vulnerable. They've looked vulnerable in the last few games. Leipzig, they leaked two. Chelsea, they leaked four. Um, and then today, they leaked number three. So there's something going on there. We'll get into it. Uh, where they look don't as, look as robust as a treble-winning side. Um, and yeah, uh, what, I, what he saw really first on in the match was City kind of pressed in a, with a very high front three. So Bernardo, Alvarez and Erling Harden took on Vicario, Emerson and Davis in a very high press. And saw that and still went, yeah, let's take that on and let, let's play mm. through that press. Um, because then the wingers of City were actually used to track the inverted fullbacks of Spurs. We know how Spurs have to push both fullbacks into midfield. And, um, and Doku and Foden were asked to, to track that all the way. Uh, into the midfield when they inverted. And then, so that, as I said, left that front three. Uh, that kind of did leave Yves Basuma as a spare man at times. Um, I think 
they tried to get Bernardo and Alvarez to press uh, the centre-backs and cut that off at the same time, but it was proven to be a bit difficult. Basum was found as a spare man. Um, the likes of Vicario firing line-breaking passes into the pivot, uh, into that area. And yeah, yeah, it was a very kind of risk-reward approach for Ange. He did get caught out a few times by using this kind of short build-up um, with those inferior centre-backs. But still, I was very impressed with how they were able to find that route through into the midfield and play out that way. And City did get hurt a few times from that. It's been fascinating because obviously a lot of people are saying, is Ange naive and stupid? And at what time is he going to change this? And equally, people are still going, admiring him for doing the same thing on repeat, like you've just said there. And I completely agree because in the first half, you're probably in a situation you're going, if Haaland is on, on it, they're 4-1 down and you're going, it's completely stupid. But he lives and dies by this philosophy um, and I think we spoke about this just before we started. If Basuma has a better game, then I think the philosophy is um, represented even better. I think like today it was more a case of they were giving it to Basuma who's just giving the ball back to City on countless occasions. Um, and so in that sense, I think Spurs did a job on City. And also in the first half, obviously, Man City had a lot of opportunities, but Spurs had a lot of half opportunities. By that, I mean they were getting the ball in transition and getting into wide areas and just making poor decisions, typically through Brian Hill, who I think is still trying to adjust to the Premier League. Um, but that vulnerability that we've spoken about with Man City, um, I just want to very quickly chat about that because we've spoken about it multiple times on the Insight and said they're not quite right. What is it that's not quite right? Well, you see what Pep's done with it, with this back four. He's really tried to lock off the wide areas by playing pure dual winners in those areas. Carl Walker and Jotko Gavardi are very strong uh, defenders, first and foremost, rather than providing anything flamboyant going forwards. And so he's locked off those wide areas. But now you're seeing a vulnerability centrally. I think without Gundogan holding Rodri's hand in a kind of positional sense, it, uh, the City used to defend as a pivot a lot of the time. With Gundogan and Rodri both there. He's gone. Uh, and now what he's asking is Manuela Kanji to step into midfield, into that pivot alongside Rodri with John Stones out. I mean, it looks good with Stonesy there, but when Akanji's there, he doesn't really time his dual winning as well as John Stones. He's not as dominant, in my opinion, uh, and, and I think it comes down to timing. Um, and then when City are pressing, Rodri's also left isolated uh, in a normal kind of 4-3-3 it was today, uh, uh, pressing structure. So, yeah. They look vulnerable through the centre, in my opinion. And you've seen it numerous times and via different methods as well. You look at Arsenal, they got that win by really lofting balls over the top to Kai Havertz, who came on and getting flick-ons. You look at the Leipzig match, Appenda was finding very direct central runs in behind the Diaz and Nkanji partnership. Um, you look at the Chelsea match, uh, they, they managed to get in that zone 14 area. Lots of Broja and Jackson were finding joy in there, even for the penalty, which Broja won. Um, and then you look at uh, the Liverpool match. Trent comes arriving into that position in the central position and no one's mm. tracking him. Uh, and then today you saw La Celso got his goal. from. They played a very direct pass into him after winning the ball back and he dribbled past Diaz and got that goal. So there's vulnerabilities in that central area. I think they will improve with Stones back in. But again, Stones has to be protected in terms of fitness. You play him every game, he's going to break again. So they've got a big problem there. And it will be interesting to see if Pep does anything about it. Because I think the Kanji-Diaz uh, centre-back partnership is by far City's weakest partnership that they can uh, field. He's also trying to crowbar Josko Gavardiol into this side, who I think is 
finding it difficult. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, I've just had a look at the heat maps with Akanji and Rodri in midfield. And um, I don't really believe in the heat maps. I'm more so average positions, should I say, not heat maps. But, um, Rodri in the game against Chelsea, Liverpool, and also this game against Spurs is quite literally on his own in midfield uh, with Akanji sort of slotted in behind him to the left-hand side. But there's a fair bit of distance between them. I've gone back to the Manchester United-Man City game. Obviously, Manchester United is not the best example because they're a poor side, but I'm just looking at average positions. Stones is practically side-by-side side to Rodri. And I think that's where, in transition, teams are gaining a lot of advantage because, and I'll go back to that Liverpool goal where Gravenberg just squares Rodri 1v1. And I think mm-hmm. that is probably where Rodri's weakest because he's he's not often asked to do that job precisely. Um and so there is issues in that area for City. And then now there's the issue of Gavardiola Aki. And I think he's trying to bleed Gavardiola into the side. But he, again, I think really struggled. He really struggled against Chelsea as well. Yeah, there's a thing with uh, Josh Gavardiola. I think you saw it in the World Cup as well when Messi had a bit of fun with him uh, in the dribbles. Uh, he doesn't really like kind of lateral movement. If you have him in straight lines, he's all right. But if you try and cut inside him or change direction, he just sometimes doesn't respond as quickly as he should. So, yeah, he is struggling. I think what Pep's got to look at is if he doesn't have John Stones, can he play a Kanji in this role? In my opinion, he might have to ditch it. And I think I mm. personally would go for a back four, Carl Walker, Diaz, Nathan Ake and Josco Gwadi. I know Gwadi are struggling, but they've got no other options at left back. So I would go for those four personally. I think Ake is very solid. I know Kulisevsky beat him in a duel today. I think that was more down to Kulisevsky just coming in with a thunderous run, uh, generating a momentum, and he just kind of destroyed Ake in the air. I've not seen that very often. So yeah, uh, that back four, and then I'd probably play a normal kind of double pivot of Bernardo and Rodri, or if you want extra legs in there, Kovacic and Rodri. Uh, I think Kovacic has those legs to protect in transition and is a very good duel winner. Uh, that's that's how he made his name at Chelsea, really, um, uh, with his ball carrying and duel winning. So, yeah, that could be the potential solution. We've talked about Julian Alvarez again. Again, I thought he was very quiet in this game, Julian Alvarez. Yeah, he was struggling um, again. Yeah, so obviously a yearning for Kevin De Bruyne to come back. Personally, I'd still look at moving Foden centrally. I think that is the solution. You can play a Kovacic and Rodri. Foden central, Bernardo right wing, Doku left wing, and you've got a bit of, still got a bit of ball retention with Bernardo on the right for the threat of Doku, and then you've got Foden joining Haaland through the middle, and I think that could be Man City's route home to getting back to their best. That looks, or more so sounds like it's the team with the best balance. Mm. Um, I think he's just struggling to get Kovacic into the side. Obviously, Kovacic has his own injury problems, so there's that to factor in as well. Um I'm looking at the next game, and we we don't normally look forward on the inside. We try and look at the game just gone, but it's Aston Villa, and there's no Rodri. The, the, we can call um, it the force. We can call it the foresight instead of the insight. <laughs> in this case, sometimes insight, sometimes foresight. Um, they go to Villa Park. Obviously, Aston Villa are, are unbelievable at home, um, and Rodri is suspended, so uh, they're going to have to find a solution again. And I continuously look at this City problem that they're having, and obviously, people are saying, "Well, when De Bruyne is back, we'll be fine." but they don't have a problem scoring goals or creating chances. Mm. Now, obviously, I think De Bruyne will take them to the next level in that sense. The issue still remains that teams can hit them very direct, and Unai Emery's Villa are very direct. Think back to that Newcastle game earlier this season, Ollie Watkins mm-hmm. peeling mm-hmm. off into that left channel and winning duels against the weaker centre-back, who I think on the day was possibly Esri Konza. Um, sorry, Newcastle's right centre-back was Fabian Shaw. 
And I think they were just picking up the second balls of the really busy midfield. And if you've got a busy midfield around Rodri, even Chelsea's not so busy, busy midfield cause problems. Mm. Um, So that makes for an interesting battle. Um, Just also very quickly. I, I, I I do think Villa, by the way, just as a point, they've got the tools to hurt City because I think Pau Torres has gone under the radar this season. His mm. playing and passing under pressure has been excellent. So I think Pau could cause him a few issues. Uh, Carlos today gave a sloppy pass away, so I wouldn't trust him. But yeah, and Bubakar Kamara as well. Bubakar Kamara is one of the most press-resistant sixes in the league right now. So those two can... That's what the key against City. You need to be brave enough, like Andrew was today, to play through the first pressure and then hit him direct, as I say, through the middle. And who can hit him through the middle? Ollie Watkins, as you said, runs in behind. He thrives off those. Moussa Diaby is actually quite good in the pockets. So if there's no Rodri, he could have some joy there into the picking it up and then driving out the City defence. So Villa have the tools to get a result, in my opinion. And that could be a very bad result for City, considering Arsenal are up there. And if they win again, then I think that'll be a... What point gap will that be? Four or five? Yeah. And that would be also be City not winning in three league games straight. Oof. So big game, big game. The, looking forward to that one. Yeah, that will be a cracker. And then they've got the very tricky task of going away to Luton. Complete contrasting <laughs> styles of football. Um, don't talk, me, don't la- talk me about that, man. I still scarred from the playoff <laughs> final. <laughs> um, any last words on City Spurs? The other thing was uh, James Madison was missing today. And Spurs still actually scored three goals. It's a simple point, but I think that's an extremely positive sign. Um, I, I quite enjoyed Brendan Johnson today. He wasn't amazing, but his pace and threat in behind is there. He's very good at making those runs in behind. He's not, I don't think he's the best dribbler in the world, but he's got that threat. He's electric uh, quick. Um, he reminds me of kind of a better Elanga, a better Dan James, that kind of vibe, but he actually does a bit more with it than those two. Right, that's uh, City Spurs. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Spurs out of the way onto the United Derby. Is that a thing? Do people call it? No, nobody calls it United Derby. That's a, a new thing coined by the insight. The United Derby. Um, obviously played on Saturday evening. Uh, Newcastle win 1-0. What were your immediate thoughts coming off the back of that game? My immediate thoughts were Manchester United in trouble. They're in deep, deep trouble. I think this philosophy about 10 halves. Uh, going about this season, it, it's complete departure from what his usual ideology is uh, from what we saw at Ajax. Uh, the build-up is non-existent. The intention is to go direct. There's nothing uh, being built through steadily and in a short manner. It's all going, you're pumping long balls. Um, it, the structure isn't there. You're leasing 
your youngster like Kobe Mainu playing on his own as a pivot uh, with no help. Um, you're seeing the fullbacks just treat the ball like grenades. It's a big, big problem what we're seeing at Manchester United right now. And he's in trouble if he doesn't try and sort something out in terms of the structure of the team. The pressing, the pressing has been a big issue for Manchester United this season. It's become so easy to attack them down the flanks. You're seeing, what you're seeing is a kind of a 4-4-2 press uh, with the striker and the advanced midfielder. And in this case, it was McTominay playing as advanced midfielder, pressing the centre-backs. Often, it's not in a very good manner in terms of really shutting them down and applying pressure to them on the ball. And then they have all the time in the world to pick out a pass to the flanks. And that is, uh, and that's because the wingers aren't really tracking back as they should. And also, Ten Hag doesn't instruct his fullbacks to push up on the opposition fullbacks. So when the winger loses them, they're in trouble because the fullback then has an ocean of space to attack. Um, because the winger is sometimes positioned a bit inside to stop a pass mm-hmm. inside. So he's not always tough. Uh, tracking the fullback, he's got a bit too much to do, and then the fullback in behind is not tracking as well. So then there's space to play out, and it happened numerous times. Cher was just chipping a ball over the top. Uh, Lascelles was even chipping a ball over the top. Gimaresh as well to the flanks, and had easy access Newcastle to destroy Manchester United down the flanks, uh, and it was way too easy for them. I sort of like watched this game, and I thought um, the commentators kept talking about Fabian Shaw bringing the ball out from the back, which is too easy obviously, but United don't press very well in that area. Mm. Um, I felt a little bit sorry for the wingers, in particular Rashford was obviously getting a hard time. I just feel like he's being asked to do too much because um, you've got someone like Kieran Trippier on uh, up against Garnacho, who I think is just going to struggle anyway. And on the opposite side, uh, Tino Livermento is just a pure athlete going bombing up and down. Rashford's sort of getting asked to... to is, is, I don't know if this is the technical term for it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, um, shadow press. So he's he's pressing areas that would stop the ball being played there. But actually, like he's pressing between the centre back and the left back, and also the centre back and the central midfielder. And mm. so you're kind of not you're not doing either job really. And so the whoever was at centre back, Lascelles, who we wouldn't normally say is brilliant on the ball, is playing easy passes into Tino Livramento, and suddenly Newcastle have broken through this non-existent press essentially um and that just was like a repeated cycle and i'm sort of sat there scratching my head going i can see it raj can see it the whole world can see it but i feel like ten Hag still isn't quite seeing the very basic things that united are doing wrong and then the complex things are just impossible to do after that yeah so you're right i think the wingers are being asked to do too much as you said um, Rashford is uh, uh, w- w- and uh, Garnacho are positioned a bit narrow to try and block out the passing to the eights, as you said. Um, but then they also tasked with having to track the winger. Uh, so yeah, the structure is all wrong, and it's been a recurrent theme in terms of the pressing structure. And then the second issue is the intensity from the front, uh, as you said, Lascelles and Share shares carries. He had about four or five in the first half alone, mm. um, and uh, he's a good carrier, but he's not an amazing carrier. So I don't know what's happening there. It's a mixture of intensity and structure that's going wrong there. And then the most shocking of all, I think, is the build-up. I think I, there was a sequence I posted on um, uh, on Premier League panel yesterday where Anana rolls the ball out to Kobe Mainu and he literally has no options to find because neither McTominay or Bruno have dropped to provide a passing option. 
The fullbacks are positioned in the same line as the centre-backs, so providing no depth or width on the wings. They're just positioned in the same line as Maguire and Shaw. So Maynard looks to his left and says, I'm after passes sideways. He's going sideways and backwards to Luke Shaw. That pushes Newcastle's press further on to Shaw. Um, and then Shaw goes, oh, I've got no one progressive to find either. So he shifts it onto Dallow. It's like passing a bomb along to the next guy. But Dallow's got the bomb now. <laughs> and Dallow just chips the bomb straight into the middle of the midfield, trying to find some outrageous line-breaking pass to Bruno Fernandes, which is never going to be found. Uh, it gets cut out. Newcastle have a shot on goal. Uh, that summed it up for me. There's no intention to build up Shaw. Dallas obviously felt that he could play a Kevin De Bruyne pass through the middle. And when you're in that situation, after two sets of bombs have been passed by the other defenders and Kobe Mainu as well, you're in big trouble. And if that's happening, build-up is about minimising risk and getting control, moving your team up the pitch gradually, not playing outrageous passes. Um, but obviously, Ten Hag feels... That direct build-up is what he needs to do. He said, I want to become the most powerful side in transition in the world. And you're seeing that intention seep into his players. And they're now lacking control in games. And they're giving terrible passes away. And they're too easy to press. The, there's so many, so many things I want to say here. Um, I'll start on the last point you made about them wanting to be the most um, powerful team in transition. I don't hate that from Ten Hag because Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford are your two star players, so you're going to play transitional football. But then the Galatasaray game is a brilliant example as to they're not actually effective in transition. So they're no, Rambo, that was that a game. football match or a basketball match? I had to check. That like, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. It was a game of basketball in Turkey against Galatasaray, like while Manchester United led the game, and it speaks to what you just said there, they've got no sense of control. And of course, people will say it's individual players. And I, I understand that to an extent, but I think also the style is non-existent. Um, I still feel Scott McTominay's playing because he's physical. I don't think that's a, a, a rocket scientist coming up with that. Like me and you could pick one six foot guy to go play in midfield. Um, then building out, building out from the back is just, it's non-existent. You bought a goalkeeper in, to be able to play out from the back, you're now asking him to hit Diags. Di- like, you should have just got a centre-back that can hit Diags instead of getting a keeper who's currently not even goalkeeping very well either. Um, the point, I obviously don't want to just sit here and slate Den Haag. Um, in that pre- uh, situation that you just mentioned there where he's played to Kobe Mano and he's got no one to pass it to, to just to break it down to people listening, what should be happening there? In my, in my mind, I've got a picture but I'm hoping the picture that I've got in my mind aligns with what you're thinking. Well, firstly, the fullback should have been providing some width because of what that does, it, it kind of spreads out your build-up and spreads out the opposition defensive structure as a result. Then that creates pockets for the eights to drop uh, into space. And then Maynu all of a sudden has, has play- passing options. And if not, you don't want to do that. You can actually play a properly a proper double pivot you could bring um, Bruno next to Menu, give him a kind of shorter pass to find, uh, and it makes things easy. You can then just play short combinations, bait the Brighton press on, uh, not the Brighton, the Newcastle press onto you, and then you can play in transition from there because you've created space from baiting. Uh, and that's what Brighton do. So it's okay being powerful in transition, but you have to generate a suitable, um, a suitable situation to do that in a safe way as well. Um, you, we, people talk about Liverpool being powerful in transition that often comes after they've created space for Trent to receive the ball 
with time and space. And that's firstly come mm. from a build-up pattern to start with. So you can't just play transition football. You still need some element of short build-up to create the space to provide those transition opportunities. Otherwise, you're just uh, smashing a long ball, hoping someone flicks it on, so hoping someone runs in behind uh, without generating the opportunity. So, yeah, that, that's the problem of Ten Hag at the moment. That's kind of what they've been doing, isn't it? Whereby you look at, say, the Everton game, an overhead kick, a penalty. We spoke actually after the game and said that that was not a sustainable way to play. Um, and then, obviously, lo and behold, three days later, they play Galatasaray, and it clearly is not a sustainable way to play. And then they play a proper team in Newcastle, and by proper team, I mean a team that has a style, um, and it is ferocious to play against, and they press brilliantly. Uh, and there's a little nugget of information that we use it to me off-air that I obviously want you to say on here regarding a certain midfielder. Um, but there's also elements of you bringing Tino Livermento, right-footed left-back, um, instead of what they've been playing. They've been playing Dan Byrne out there, who's not been a progressive left-back. He's almost basically played as a third centre-back. They've now brought in a completely different profile of a left-back, and they are still repeating the same things. And they've become more inventive down that side because Anthony Gordon's coming. So they're trading players out constantly. They've got 11 players missing currently, um, and they're finding ways to still win games and completely dominate teams, by the way. Um, but Manchester United, on the flip side don't have Lissandra Martinez and don't have Casemiro and everyone else probably doesn't start anyway. Um, and there is no style or route to goal. I think they've scored 16 goals this season and, uh, and they've got a minus one goal difference, which is just atrocious. Um, just quickly back to Newcastle, that one midfielder you mentioned to me, and I absolutely love this one because I didn't even think about it. But then when you mentioned it to me, I was like, that is absolutely everything they always do. Yeah, so I think... For Newcastle, there's a lot of focus on how they're, they're quite good in transition. They're good at pressing. But I think there's two pieces of glue as well, which add a bit of control to the situation. The first piece of glue, uh, I didn't mention to you off air, but Alexander Izak. I think they have a very different side when he's at number nine instead of Callum Wilson. I think his link-up play is phenomenal. I think he got around 30-odd passes yesterday as a striker. But when he receives it, his touch is clean. He's got a dribble in his locker. He's passing. The weight of his pass is excellent. So, Izak, for me, is becoming a very complete nine. And I think when he's fit, they look a different proposition. And he kind of balances out that physical midfield with a bit more technicality uh, up there. Uh, and he kind of glues their attacks together. And the second piece of glue who I want to refer to is Joe Linton. I think Bruno Guimaraes, as a Brazilian, takes a lot of the plaudits. But Joe Linton... He's a different kind of number eight. You don't see this kind of player, and I call him a hold-up number eight. Because what <laughs> Newcastle do is they get their fullbacks, Livermento and Trippier, and then Gimaresh. But when the direct option in behind or to the flanks isn't on, they've got Joe Linton to fire a pass to feet in the half space. He holds off men. He could have two on him and he'll hold them off. And then he'll link the play either to Bruno, either to Isaac in the central area. And he's in, he's excellent at that. He's like the ultimate link number eight because it's hard to get the ball off him. And he can even carry it himself as well. He's quite powerful. So I've been impressed with him. So I think he got an injury as well. And he's looked decent since he's come back. So those two, I think, are underrated cogs in the Newcastle team. And they balance out that chaos uh, with a bit more control. They're also just such a chaotic team to play against um, and such a powerful team to play against. They, I don't know the exact stats and haven't come prepped with them, um, but second balls, I'd imagine they're really high. 
pressing numbers, they're obviously going to be really high. Duels, they're going to be really high. Um, and then you come up against a meek Manchester United team that despite actually not being a small team, they're really easy to fight off and really easy to bully. Um, going forward, um, where like where do you see United improving or how do they even improve? Because I everything I see about United at the moment and Ten Hag's idea and plan is it's kind of halfway on the way to nowhere um, and at the same time, halfway on the way to somewhere potentially. To be honest, I think the main fix is going to come from Ten Hag changing his ideology and implementing uh, the possession style of play that he had at Ajax. I think structurally what he can do, I think Casemiro will come in uh, next to Maynou. I think Maynou can balance out a bit of Casemiro's weaknesses in terms of progressing the play from the pivot. I'd probably play those two as a double pivot. Uh, Bruno ahead of them. And then you've maybe got an issue at the moment on the wings. I think I think Ten Hag's overcomplicating it by putting Rashford on the right wing. He doesn't look comfortable there whatsoever. Rashford is an Mbappe light. You want him on the left wing, cutting inside, generating that separation and sparring shots at goal. Uh, that is his best strength. So you can't completely neutralising it by putting him on the right wing. Yeah, Rashford left wing, get him back in there. Um, the right wing... Just, just quickly on the Rashford point, I think also people underestimate how difficult it is to play on the opposite wing as a winger. Rashford specialises in, as you said, uh, cutting inside and shooting, but also off the ball, he specialises in making diagonal runs left to right. Mm. Sadio Mane is a classic example of that. Um, and I actually think Sadio Mane didn't do a terrible job on the right-hand side. Uh, but if you, say, flipped Mo Salah to the left-hand side, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Just, you completely killed how he how he plays off the ball. He wouldn't know where to run. Obviously, mm. people are going, hey, it's not that difficult. You, know, you just have to run in diagonal lines. But then it's all about where you take the ball down, how the ball mm. arrives to you, what yeah. sort of angles you're, uh, you're going to access when you make those runs. I think when you put Rashford on the right-hand side, he, he cannot run in behind. Like He literally doesn't know how to. Um, and so you're going, well, Garnacho, you're doing all right, mate. So you just go play on the left for us. Um, yeah. And you're not going to be the, the guy who makes diagonal runs in behind. So now we have to change style as well. So sorry, I'll let you continue, but that just sprung to our mind that I think no, people no, think no. it's just really easy to flip them over. Yeah, spot on is spot on. The way you're going to take touches and prepare your shots for goal is completely different. Um, Garnacho as well. If you're going to play in transition, you're going to need a pacey forward as well. Garnacho's not got pace, really. He's not a rapid uh, uh, inside forward like Rashford. So if you're going to play in transition, at least put your transition for best transition forward in his best position. Um, so yeah, regarding the best team, yeah, I, I don't think Garnacho is the real deal yet. I think he's got a long way to go, in my opinion. Um, I don't see much outside of his uh, odd shots on goal. I don't, I don't think there's enough in his creative and dribbling game yet. Um, I personally would restore Mason Mount on that right wing when he comes back. I don't think it, it's not an amazing role for him, but if you want a bit more control and a bit more build up in your side, Mount there alongside Maynou, Bruno, Casemiro, and then Rashi on the left, Hoyland up top. I think that could be his route home, but it's going to have to come from the training ground first and foremost. Can he coach a better build up structure and pressing structure, which he, he hasn't so far? Yeah, worrying times for Manchester United. Um, Last one on Matt Newcastle, by the way. I think they've got another lever to kick into here. And that is Harvey Barnes when he comes back. So I don't mm. think Miguel Almiron 
is a great player in my opinion. He had a purple patch last season, but he was punching above his weight, I think, with the goals he was scoring. Harvey Barnes, when you've got Izak dropping into the hole, is a very good ball striker and he he's very good at making runs in behind. So you could potentially see Gordon moving to the right uh, and he can still create from there. And then Barnes coming in from the left with his ball striking, he scored, I think, more than 10 goals for Leicester a couple of times. So that's I think Newcastle could move up a level when he comes back. We saw a slight glimpse of it before his injury. I think he's got quite a bad one. I can't remember what it was, but I'm pretty sure he's out for quite some time. Um, but one thing they kept doing at the start of the season, they'd throw him on with 20 minutes to go and just go, mate, get on your bike. And it worked a treat. Um, and like you said, he has actually been pretty effective uh, for Leicester, but he's only actually played six times for Newcastle this season, five actually. Um, but that's another weapon that they've got in their armoury. Uh, and also, Tonali, whenever he comes back, it won't be this season, I don't think. They're, they will be better in possession in midfield as well. Um, all right, I think that's everything, unless unless we've missed something, Raj. I think you wanted to comment on Lewis Miley, didn't you? You were impressed with his performance as well. Yeah, I think before the the game, a lot of people are obviously going to talk about Miley because he's had that game where people were very impressed against Everton. I just think Lewis Miley is going under the radar, 17 years of age. I think he's so comfortable in possession. Um, he he does everything that Newcastle want from their midfield. The one caveat to that I will say is he's going into a midfield where his role isn't quite defined. He's being asked to work his socks off. Um, but I think the little technical qualities that I have seen in possession, the, the amount of times I think I've seen him win second balls, and also he's shown little glimpses of real high quality. Um, I think it was the PSG game where he got the assist for Isak, possibly. Um, so I think they've got a bit of a, a gem there. Um, excite, a very exciting midfielder. It'll be interesting to see what happens with his development once Tonali's back in there uh, and Joe Willett can stay fit and Sean Longstaff, who obviously Eddie Howe likes a lot. Um, as always, yeah, I'll give you the last I did, word. I, yeah, I just checked Barnes will be back close to Christmas time, so not too far off. And the other parallel I'd like to draw is a lot of people using Lissandra Martinez's injury as an excuse for Tenard because he's not building out from the back. Eddie Howe has had his own former Ajax centre-back injured, Sven Botman. And it ha- he hasn't batted an eyelid, really. Uh, and he's still playing a very good style of play with Cher and Jamal Lascelles. So I don't think there's any excuses for Ten Hag. And as we discussed earlier, was playing with his style of play about his two top centre-backs. So he's got nowhere to run, Eric. And he's got to find a way out pretty quick. Otherwise, there will be some massive pressure on him. I mean, we're already on first-name basis, as if he's going to be joining us sometime <laughs> soon. Um, right, if you enjoy listening to the insight, as always, uh, drop a like, follow the podcast on all podcast platforms or wherever you listen to the podcast. Follow Raj on socials and at No Ratings Pod. Send in your thoughts. As I say, we will discuss them. We did get a few last week, but they were very relative to that game. It wouldn't make sense to go and talk about it this week. Uh, and I've, I really hope you've enjoyed the double header. Uh, considering the record time right now is 10 to 2 in the morning. So the commitment from Mr. Doctor over there and from myself, freelance, doesn't make a difference what time I wake up tomorrow, um, is quite high. So I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.